Well, I don't know about you, but do you enjoy this weather? Isn't this great? And it's hard to believe it's, it's November this week. I don't know about you, but this fall is flying by so, so quickly. And I think that's because in many ways we get so busy just living life that we look up and the calendar is just whizzing by. And so in the middle of how things go so quickly, I just want to kind of pause in the middle of our, this season, and, and we're going to revisit this series we did a while back called Flourishing. We just finished a series where we looked at moving God to the center of our life, even at work. If you missed any of those, I highly encourage you to go back and listen uh, to these remarkable stories we, we got to hear. But before that, we were doing a series on flourishing based on Harvard's research into what helps someone flourish. And we did a survey, and so today I'll be sharing some of the results of that survey. And today, in many ways, I'm talking about how to flourish in South Austin. If you were to pause and really evaluate, maybe you did the survey five, six weeks ago, how would you compare yourself now to then? Are you making progress in flourishing? And flourishing was about all sorts of different categories. Are you flourishing when it comes to your friendships? When it comes to your finances, your physical and mental health, you're living out your purpose, finding your meaning in life. There's lots of different categories, and some of us may be flourishing in some and struggling in others. But what we found in the survey here with this campus, I thought was really remarkable. Some things that might surprise you. But I want to look at a passage of scripture that's always been an encouragement to me over the years and challenged me. It's, it's really about spiritual maturity, which is not exactly maybe what you think it is. It's something so much more. But Paul, a church planner who started lots of churches just after the ministry and life of Jesus, he wrote letters to these churches that he helped start along with the letters to the leaders that he had invested in. And many of those letters were actually written while he was in prison. And I think he liked to remind them of that. Listen to what he says, Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's three different kind of thoughts going on here. And the first that really stands out is this idea of living a life worthy of the calling you've received. I just love that language. It implies that every single one of us have a calling in life. But sometimes we don't live up to that calling. See, I believe God has a big purpose for each and every one of us, but sometimes we live too small. We don't live a life worthy of that calling that we've received. And so wrestling with and discovering what is that calling. And we had an entire message on purpose just a, a few weeks ago. There's an extra bonus podcast you can listen to on that very subject. But I also like that kind of second thought that he's saying. In many ways, it's not just what you do, but how you do it. 
Some of living out a calling worthy of how it was received is actually living a life that's demonstrably different than everybody else. A life that could be qualified with what these words mean. He describes them as pursuing humility and gentleness, patience, loving, and unifying. I mean, he goes into this long riff on how we are all one in Christ. See, too often Christians are actually known for the opposite. We're we're known for being judgmental, hypocritical, angry, political. And, And what we see here is a completely different description. I mean, wouldn't it be a completely different world if people saw our lives and they thought immediately, wow, they are so humble and gentle. They're, they're so patient and loving and, and so unifying. See, I, I think part of the problem is we live in a, in a world where there's a version of Christianity that's actually cultural. I first discovered this as kind of a new follower of Jesus at around 17, 18 years old. I was talking to my grandfather, who was kind of a, a meaner version of Archie Bunker. And, uh, and I was talking to him about faith. And, and I asked him if he was open to talking about becoming a Christian. And he told me, I'm already a Christian. I'm an American. Like, That's not what I mean, Papa. <laughs> see, there's a, a cultural Christianity. And I think that's what we see sometimes in the news. There are people who don't actually have a relationship with Jesus that call themselves Christian. And so as a result, they're not actually growing to become more gentle and humble and patient and loving and unifying. They're actually doing the opposite. But what if we could, could overcome that negative Christian stereotype by the way that we live, where we work, in our neighborhood, among our friends, among our family? And so before we kind of look at how do we, how do we allow God to transform us? How can we allow others to experience the best of us? How do we live a a life worthy of the calling we've received? I want to just pause and kind of introduce some of the results of the study. So from zero to 10, we were able to to put in that range where we felt we landed. And in all the different questions, on all the different categories that I mentioned earlier, from zero to 10, typically we scored ourselves as seven. That means we're not quite flourishing. Eight to 10 is like flourishing. And then some categories we were, but we're, we're good. Now, what's interesting, most of us that filled out the form were actually indicated that we follow Jesus. But there was something really interesting. Those who indicated they're not following Jesus, their average score for all of the different categories actually came out to be a four. That means they're they're not close to flourishing. They're kind of just barely not miserable in these categories. Now, this is an important distinction to make because you're here. If, if you're here and you're not yet following Jesus, maybe you're realizing that's what brought you here is you want to flourish more in life. And there are certainly people who follow Jesus that aren't doing well in several of these categories. But I think part of this is just being 
very aware of where you're at, being open and honest with who you are. When we do that, we actually are in a position to make the changes necessary in our life. So one of the questions we dealt with was kind of our demographics and just out of, I know some of you might be curious, uh, we are an increasingly diverse group. Uh, we can show that ethnicity chart. In a world that tries to divide us, it's pretty remarkable that Gateway South Austin is as diverse as we are. Many of you may have heard this years ago, but Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr. said the most segregated place on the planet is 11 a.m. on a Sunday. That's not true of us. In fact, if you look at the city of Austin, we're becoming, we're looking more and more like the city than in the past. But we're not only different ethnically, but also spiritually. See, I, I want to just commend you because it's easier to go to a place where everyone looks like you, everyone votes like you, everyone makes the same choices, but even more remarkable. And I think what we really need is to be part of a community where we can experience unity in the midst of our diversity. This, what we have here is not normal, by the way. It's very abnormal. You help create something so beautiful, not just reflecting the city of Austin, but reflecting what heaven will look like one day. But the next slide, I want to point out something very interesting. I think if you can go to the next slide. Oh, sorry, that's a quote. That's right. Let me give you this quote from Harvard. The researcher said, people who attended religious services at least once a week were significantly less likely to die from deaths of despair, including deaths related to suicide, drug overdose, and alcohol poisoning. See, what's happening is this survey is kind of sh sharing with us where we're flourishing and where we're struggling. And the Harvard researchers were stunned to realize that part of what helps people flourish is they have some sort of religious experience in their life. It actually increases the chances of having a healthy relationship, to have physical and mental health, to be financially healthy, and to fulfill your sense of purpose. And I think it's because... When we connect with God, or even in a pursuit of God, it connects us to this idea of hope. And the more we press in, the more we search, that we discover that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. See, if you're here, and you're not yet following Jesus, I want to encourage you, just keep pressing in. Just keep exploring God. Just come to him with an open heart and open mind. Because I believe you're on to something, something that I've discovered in my own life. The, the more I've grown to know him, the more I'm amazed that he loves me, that he has a purpose in my life. This spiritual status chart was what I wanted to show you next at our campus. What stood out to me is that basically three-fourths of us indicated we follow Jesus, but one out of four of us were not there yet. And again, I want to commend you for coming and being a part of this community if you're not yet in that relationship with Jesus. 16% said, I believe in God, but I'm not actually following him, actively following him. Some would say, I, I'm not sure how I would answer that question. And then you also see that some indicate, I am curious about spirituality. And this is a, a place that you can come and explore God. And for a moment, I just want to point out the three out of four of us that say, yeah, I'm actually following Jesus, I want to just encourage you. Thank you for inviting your friends. 
Thank you for inviting your family. You know, the most common way people find us is through a personal invitation from someone they know. That is what usually gets someone here. You know what number two is? Google. Probably doesn't surprise you, right? But I'm telling you, if you, see, if you have someone invite you and you Google that person or that, that place, you're, you're more likely to come, right? Or if you Google something and then you hear about it at work, then you're more likely to come as well. But still, the number one way that most people end up here is someone invited them. You're doing an amazing job at inviting people. And I can tell you, inviting my own neighbors and friends and family over the years, what I love about this community is I can invite them, but as soon as I do, they're no longer just my friend. They become friends with many of you. I know this place is so welcoming and encouraging. It's been so good for me and my family. See, I want to encourage you to continue to love rather than judge, to serve rather than shame, to welcome those searching rather than becoming a holy huddle like most churches. See, most churches, and maybe if you grew up going to church, your experience would have been like mine. I grew up in a place that was more like the upper room, right? The upper room is this time in the life of Jesus where he brought together just those who really believe. And it's an amazing experience, what we see in the scriptures. But the problem with an upper room kind of experience is that the person who's speaking and everyone who's leading assumes everyone's in the exact same place spiritually. And so they don't necessarily fill you in on what they're doing or why they're doing it. A friend of mine told me about his experience going to church. He'd never been to church before until he was a young adult. And he walks in and he doesn't understand why do they have, they had what we call pews if you grew up going to church. He just saw them as the benches you have at court. It's like, why, why are the benches like when you go to court? And then they, they all kind of walk to the front to, to take communion. And he, he, this is such a new experience. He didn't understand. Why was the guy wearing, you know, Hugh Hefner robes? And then he, he walks to the front and, and the guy, you know, they kind of pass the, the, the chalice, the, the cup from one person to the next. And they're saying, you know, the this, this sacred phrase of, of, you know, his body and blood given to you, take in remembrance of me. And they pass it and, and he doesn't understand, you know, the telephone game. So his buddy gets it. He doesn't fully understand. And he says to his, to my friend, Dan, he says, take of the magic waters. <laughs> and it, it was just so confusing that was completely foreign to what he'd experienced and he didn't know why things were happening the way they were happening see but what we like to think of Sundays is more like the Sermon on the Mount when you watch and read the story of Jesus you discover that he would speak in places where there were disciples and also tax collectors and prostitutes people who really believe and those who aren't necessarily welcome into the synagogue. That's why they could come and they would come and listen to Jesus when he was outside, a place that they felt welcome and safe. And I feel like that's a lot like us. I'm not talking about the career choices of the tax collector or prostitute, although if that's you, you're welcome here. Uh, but I'm, I'm talking in terms of some of us are devoted and we're following after Jesus and we have for years and some of us are still trying to figure this whole thing out. What I love about this community is, is you are a safe place to do that. We also scored incredibly high when it comes to factors that lead to generosity. 
You give freely to help others along in their journey. But what also stood out to me was some of the ways that, that we are struggling to flourish as a campus. As I mentioned, 16% of us say we believe in God, but we're not actually following him. And I want to just commend you. If that's you, you, being honest about where you are is really important. I think some people aren't honest about that, and that keeps them stuck. But I want you to know that God's inviting you into something really beautiful, something more meaningful. He's inviting you into a real relationship with him. Let's put up the domains rating chart. I want you to notice a couple things that, that stand out here. Um, you, you won't necessarily understand the words here at the bottom, but let me just, uh, if you see D3, that's the third domain. That's, that has to do with meaning and purpose. And we actually scored really high. We have 56% of us are flourishing when it comes to understanding our, uh, something about doing things worthwhile in life. We have a, we're flourishing when it comes to finding meaning in life. But we're also flourishing, and this might, might encourage you, surprise you, when it comes to character. That's what D4, when it comes to character. We are those who promote good in all circumstances. We said, yes, that's a, a way in which we're flourishing. What's interesting is we seem to have less overall satisfaction and less overall happiness than from other campuses and this could be in part because one out of four of us is being honest that I'm not connected with God and I'm not really flourishing in my life. But in the category that all of our campuses combined scored lowest is the one dealing with social relationships. And we happen to be higher than the rest. Notice in D5, that domain, only 23% of us say, yeah, I'm flourishing in my social relationships having healthy relationships, only 37% of us said that's us. Now, part of that could be because people are so transitory. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had best friends who aren't here for very long. And so it can be hard to, to develop those meaningful friendships. But I want to encourage you not to give up and not to stay too busy. See, sometimes we just don't pause long enough to share a meal with friends. We don't take off a night from work to have people over. We spend too much time watching television, so it keeps us from joining a group at Gateway. But I want to encourage you, there are ways that you and I can, can grow in that. One of the things when we first moved here, we lived in Seattle for four years, in Los Angeles for 12 years, and then we moved here. It's almost been 12 years now. And I remember when we first got here, it was really, it felt very lonely. Austin, people are super friendly, but, but you can still feel very much alone in a crowd. And I remember trying to encourage my wife, because we had these friends who would come over every week, and we'd you know, make desserts and watch the TV show Lost, and we watched that for seven years with them. That show just would not end. And, uh, and I, I encouraged her, I said, sweetheart, what we experienced with them took 10 years to build, so we shouldn't expect it to be that way in, after 10 months. But see, there are certain things you have to do to be proactive in order to at least foster the possibility of healthy relationships. Which leads me back to that passage. Paul is indicating that in order to grow and become mature, there's a few key ingredients that might surprise you. Verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, Paul's giving great insight into becoming spiritually mature. Now, I kind of grew up assuming that maturity, when it comes to spirituality, means you, like, memorize chunks of the Bible. You know all the stories of the Israelites, right? It's kind of connected to how long you've been following Jesus. But actually, that's not maturity at all. Maturity has very little to do with whether or not you can win a Bible trivia contest. Maturity has everything to do with the kind of life that you lead. Maturity, according to Paul here, is this level of maturity where you experience the fullness of Christ. That you're in community where you're helping build each other up, continuing to grow. And you have this knowledge of the Son of God. Not head knowledge, but experiential knowledge. You have moments with God that translate into how you live your life. And you can also figure out how to become mature by avoiding being immature. And Paul describes that here in verse 14. To be immature spiritually means you're tossed back and forth by the waves. You're blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. If you find yourself kind of all in and all out or, or unsure and certain back and forth, there's some level of growth that will really help you in your life. And we can also say that immature people are experiencing the opposite of what a mature person experiences. So an immature person is lacking peace, is lacking unity. In fact, they might be the ones causing disunity. They might be prone to selfishness, gossip, and spreading discord. People who struggle with maturity lie rather than speak the truth in love, or they speak the truth but with bitterness in their heart. And rather than building others up, they might tear others down, or they don't even show up at all, remaining isolated. I don't know about you, but as I read that list, it's hard not to think of junior high. Didn't that sound like junior high? Remember it, junior high, the worst three years of your life? Maybe some of you, four years of your life? I'm not sure. But if we're not careful, we can actually get stuck as spiritual junior hires. Because what happens is, I don't know if you remember this or if you've raised kids and you've seen it, but there's a certain age where all of a sudden parents are not as smart as their friends. They literally think 14-year-old friends are smarter than us. They think that. They believe that. That's how they live their life. And see, what happens is it's because they come to this place where they feel like, they don't have anything else they need to learn from us. They've already got it figured out. I know. You ever heard that before? I know. All right? And so what happens is spiritual junior hires are in the same place. 
they feel like they already figured it out. They've already arrived. But what happens is we get into a place where we're too proud to ask for help. We're too proud to even see the areas in which we're stuck. Too proud to trust God or trust others. So instead, we try to control our circumstances and the people around us. See, here's what's happening. We grow at different rates. And some, some, this happens physically, right? When you're in junior high, have you ever seen those kids that have like size 12 shoes and they're four foot eight? Or, or they have giant adult teeth with their little baby face, right? Our body grows at different rates and the same is true for us spiritually. See, I think some of us might have matured in, in, in some areas and might be less mature in others. Right? We may be great at hearing God's voice, but we still have a lot of work when it comes to forgiving others. We might be great at serving people in need, but we still have a lot of work to become generous. See, the problem is some of us feel like we may have arrived. We might think we're more mature than we actually are. And when we find ourselves there, that's when we're actually stuck. And when we're stuck, we can blame others. We blame our life group leader, our ministry leader, our parents, our pastors, or even God. But if we go back to the first things that Paul said, we just humble ourselves. Ask God to speak to us. Ask him to give us an open heart and open mind. We might start listening to people that maybe we stopped listening to, allowing others to help us see those blind spots that we may be missing. And what helps us become mature, what we see is this experiencing God and serving in community. And what results is this, verse 13, we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What do you think that means? I can't help but think that all of the peace and the joy and the love and the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness and self-control that comes to us from the Spirit of God. They're called the fruit of the Spirit. And they can actually be used to describe the character of God who walked among us. His name is Jesus. So you and I have access to the fullness of Christ, the promised one, God in human form. We can have access to all of his character traits, all of the fruit of the Spirit. Now we might catch glimpses here and there, but according to Paul, we can experience the whole measure the fullness of Christ. And to experience that requires being willing to connect with other people, to allow them to equip you, to be part of equipping others, to serve others using our spiritual gifts. See, serving others with others actually helps build us up. You cannot obey God's word in its entirety and experience his promises in isolation. We need to be in community. Now, community can be hard because people are very difficult, if you haven't noticed. But sometimes what happens is when we're hurt by others, we can actually build a protective wall around our heart. But the wall meant to protect us can actually keep us from experiencing the love that we actually need. See, too often we settle for isolation and when we do that, we're settling for less than what God has for us. Maybe we've gotten too busy doing good things that we're missing out on the great things that God has for us. Or maybe we've gotten into some bad habits. We used to be more engaged than we have been 
over these last couple of years. Or I wonder if, if some of us might have JOMO. Have you heard of JOMO? You probably know FOMO. That's the fear of missing out. That's important to know that that's what drives you sometimes because you might need to work on having healthier boundaries like learning to say no, not just doing things so you don't miss out. Well, for some of us, that's not the problem. Fear of missing out is not the problem. Our problem is we have JOMO. That's the joy of missing out. We love it when a meeting gets canceled, when a party is postponed, when somebody that we hadn't even bought the gift for yet calls and says, sorry, we got to cancel, I'm sick. And we say, hooray, <laughs> we miss out, right? The joy of missing out. See, but the thing about that is we need each other. I I've shared this study, results of the study before, but it's just so helpful in reminding us that relationships make us healthier. It's the Alameda County study on relationships. They tracked 7,000 people over the course of nine years. And here's what they discovered. The most isolated people were three times more likely to die than the more relational people. When someone had bad health habits but strong relational connections, they lived significantly longer than those who had great health habits but were isolated. John Ortberg, a pastor out of California said, summarizing the findings, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli all by yourself, <laughs> right? Or in a book called Bowling Alone, Harvard researcher Robert Putnam said, if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. See, so he described that the first two-thirds of the last century, people were involved in bowling leagues and PTA and church but the last third, it dropped dramatically. And you know it's gotten even worse over these last couple of years. The result is we don't have friends anymore. We just watch friends on TV. Now some of you are thinking you have this cynical voice inside your head and, and, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know what? You don't know my friends. There is no way I'm gonna live longer with all the drama they bring into my life, all right? Or you may be thinking, you know what, I'll take my chances. I'd rather live alone in a shorter time than with all the pain that people can bring into it. But as hard as people can be, the best moments in our life usually involve someone else that's either with us or helped get us there. Ortberg kind of reminds us that what the findings prove is what the scriptures have taught all along. You were created for community. You were made for relational connectedness. You were designed by God to love and be loved, to know and to be known, to serve and be served, to celebrate and to be celebrated. To miss out on this is to miss out on the reason God made you. There are easy next steps that each of us can take. Learning to step into community. Maybe for some of you it's as simple as just Joining us at the men's conference this weekend, all of you men, an easy way to get to know people in a short amount of time is to be with us Friday night and Saturday. Or maybe it's to jump into a group or start serving on Sundays or finding someone that you see every week and just asking about having lunch after just to hear their story. But something that I think can help us is, is this idea of, of tithing your time. 
If you just were to look at your calendar, maybe spend some time today and just reorganize where you put the most important things as priority. And think of it in terms of, you know what, if you work 40, 50 hours a week, what if you were to give four to five hours, just 10% of how much time you work to your spouse on a walk or a date over the course of a week? Or four to five hours with your kids where you're not looking at your phone, but you're actually engaged in playing with them. Or four to five hours investing in your spiritual growth and the spiritual growth of others, participating in Sundays and being a part of a group. See, Jesus tells a parable in which the goal was to hear the master say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Who are we serving? See, some of us have incredible spiritual gifts that are ready to be unleashed. It's time to recalibrate our calendar to be able to live out God's calling in our life. Summarizing here, verse 12 and 13, as we are equipped for works of service, serving others with others, then what happens is the body of Christ is built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, I believe every one of us, God has a next step for us to take. There's two ordinances, is what we call them. They're, they're traditions that Jesus passed on to us, and we're going to celebrate both of them today. One of them is baptism. We just baptized several people after the first service. We left the water in there. In case there's anyone in this room where your next step is to, to get baptized, if you've already said, yes, I'm following Jesus, I, I, I have asked him to forgive me and lead me, but that's just been an internal thing, a, a personal thing, you can make that a public declaration with baptism today. In fact, during the song we're singing, if that's you and you want to be baptized, just walk right out those double doors to the baptism pool and we'd love to talk with you, help you in that. Or maybe you're just exploring God, and, and I want to encourage you to take that seriously, to be with us all through this next series called Who I Am. Discover what God's inviting you into. Or, or maybe it's stepping into serving using your gifts. There's another ordinance. It's called communion, and we're going to take communion together. If you came in earlier and did not get one of these, would you raise your hand if you need one of these? Our team can help you with that. They're in the back. A uh, few up here. Thank you so much. Here in the front as well. Just keep your hand up. We'd love to get this to you. But see, communion is a, a beautiful expression of remembering what Jesus did by giving his body, shedding his blood for you and for me. And right up here in the front as well. Yeah, right up here in the back. And so the scriptures tell us before you take communion, before you share of this meal that reminds you of what Jesus did to examine your heart. So I just want to invite you right now to examine your heart. Just ask God to reveal to you anything that you might need to confess, anything that's in the way between you and him. And if you're here and it's been a lack of faith and you're ready for faith, you can ask him right now, God, give me the faith to believe, to trust you. And if it's the first time you've prayed that, surrendering your life to him. You can take communion as a new follower of Jesus. But if you're just exploring,
exploring, just reflect right now during this time. But for those of us who follow Jesus, let God examine your heart. And then in a moment, we'll take the bread and the cup. us into community, into a church family, to help each other along the way. And so now as we take of the bread and the cup, we remember what you've done for us. And out of gratitude, God, we want to live new lives, transformed lives. We want to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. Speak to us in these moments. Scripture say, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to invite you to stand with us. We're going to sing a song, a song that uses the imagery of, of chasing the wind wind is like the spirit of God. What if we became people who lived lives led first and foremost by the spirit of God, loving and with humility, serving in this community, building others up, allowing them to build us up. Just allow this song and these moments during this song to help you discover your next step. And if that next step is baptism, just a reminder, write out those double doors to the baptism pool. We'd love to meet you there. Let's connect with God during this song and sing together.